0: well let 's go ahead and uh, get get into our message this evening um, tonight i 'm going to preach the third part on this uh, mini series that I, I I preached while well, two parts while he was gone, and that that 's on our the elements of our faith and um, the first night I preached on, on on a Wednesday night, I preached on the provisions of faith and we we talked about some of the things that w- were provided for us by God through our faith. We talked about repentance toward God uh, and how that certainly none of us would ever have, have felt any guilt or would have turned to God in any way, but because of the faith that God has granted us and measured to us, we, we have been granted repentance toward God. We also talked about remission of sin, the fact that God has, has pardoned us of our guilt and... and um, removed the sins from us we talked also that evening about the reconciliation we have with god that god has reconciled us unto himself and we can once again have fellowship and this fellowship we have with god is is by virtue of the shed blood of jesus christ not by any any works that we have done or anything that we have done and also that first night we we preached about or we talked about The provision of the righteousness that we have that we've been granted we've been made righteous uh, with god through once again the blood of christ and then last wednesday evening we talked about the products that we have by our faith and we we said uh three things we said number one we live with hope because of the faith that god has given us we have hope in eternal life and our hope is is sure and it's steadfast we also said that we walk in happiness and we have peace with God and because of that we, we, can, we can live our lives and we can walk and live in true happiness before the Lord. And then we, th- we said thirdly that we work with confidence, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord and that, that, that we are able to, to work with confidence in the, in the work that God has called us to do. And so now tonight I'd like to conclude this mini-series by talking about our propensities through faith. Before God gave us the measure of faith, our propensity was controlled by our sinful nature. Now, by definition, propensity is an inclination to act or to do something. It's a natural inclination, a disposition to behave In a certain way. Now, before we were regenerated, before we were redeemed by God and given that measure of faith, we did have a natural uh, inclination. We did have a propensity, but it was to evil. It was a natural inclination, it was a disposition to behave as sinners and as lost, as natural men in our natural state. We behaved according to that nature, according to the lusts of the flesh. However, as God's elect saints, chosen by his sovereign will, redeemed through the shed blood of Christ Jesus, our Lord, and quickened and made alive by his Holy Spirit, we are no longer subject to that old nature. We no longer have to live according to the flesh. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, a very familiar verse to all of us, we read, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And that word creature could actually be translated creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Uh, Though we are still embodied in the flesh, which represents the old nature... Um, We do not have to live under the control of this flesh. We don't have to live under the control of the old nature. I'd like you to take your Bibles with me and turn to Romans chapter 6. It's all turned together to Romans chapter 6. And we'll go ahead and read verses 8 through 14. If you will read along silently with me as, as I read out loud, Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse number 8. We read here, Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now, in verse 11, we read, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see that we are also uh, dead unto sin, that our flesh has, has been crucified with Christ. Verse 12, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God for sin shall not have dominion over you for ye are not under the law but under grace and we see here that sin does not control us any longer there's only one way sin will control you there's only one way the flesh will control you, and that is if you yield yourself to it. If you yield yourself to sin, if you give in to, the, to the, the, the temptations of the flesh, then it shall have dominion over you. It shall rule you, but ye are not subject to that. We have been made a new creature, a new creation. We have a new nature within us. And we must learn to yield and submit to that new nature through the Holy Spirit's guidance. You see, our inclinations, our propensities are different once we are born again. Yet, they are the same. It's a little confusing, isn't it? We have, we're, not, we're no longer subject to sin. We have a new nature, but we are subject to sin because we have an old nature. Well, Paul explains this a little bit in Romans chapter 7, in verses 18 and 19, where he states, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And what Paul is saying here." is that there is nothing good in his flesh, nothing of his natural self. In his flesh, he wants us to know that there is only rebellion against God and wickedness in our hearts. That is all we possess in our flesh. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, we read, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart Was only evil (coughs) continually. Now that's the old nature, that's the old man. However, in the new man, in the new creation, created by God and with the nature of Christ, only there will you and I find a propensity for good. Only by the grace of God will we be able to walk in holiness and to live in righteousness. And not our own righteousness, and not our own holiness, but that of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we must yield to the Spirit of God. The ability to do good has been imputed to us by God's grace. And we, If you remember, we spoke about this imputed righteousness a couple of uh, Wednesday nights ago when, when we, we talked about the righteousness that we have been given in Christ. So... This, is, this ability to do good has been imputed to us by God's grace. When I yield my body, my mind, and my spirit to the guidance and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, He leads me in the right direction. He, the Holy Spirit, will never lead me into error. In John chapter 16 and verse 13, we read, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Do you see that that statement where it says, he will guide you into all truth? The Holy Spirit never leads us into error. If we find ourselves living in fault, living in error, you can rest assured of this, you were not led there by the Spirit of God. You were led there by your own self, by your own flesh. So by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, we are given the propensity to walk in holiness and to walk in righteousness. Now allow me to take a few moments tonight and share these propensities with you, these propensities that we have now by virtue of the faith that has been measured to us by God the Father. Through faith we have been given the propensity, number one, to serve the Lord. In Joshua chapter 24, in verse 14, Joshua states, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. now the natural man has no inkling whatsoever to serve God, at least not the God of truth, not the guide of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They serve their own gods, and they have a propensity to to, to glorify themselves through their gods, but no desire to serve the Lord. In fact, the philosophy of this world is what? Look out for numero uno. I guess that means number one. I don't know. I'm not, I don't speak Hispanic. i have to ask. I'll have to get you pointing to Mina. I'll have to get Mina to clarify. That's the philosophy of this world. The philosophy of the world is all about self. It's all about self-gratification, self-exaltation. And that's, that's the philosophy of the world we live in. No desire, no interest in true sincere service unto God. We all know that the flesh does not desire to serve the Lord. And this is evidenced by the fact that many of those who claim to be born again do not have any desire whatsoever to serve God many are selfish with their time they won't give up their sundays to come into the house of god and worship him and they they, they're selfish with their talents the work of god often goes undone by those who are capable of doing it because they simply won't give their talents their abilities to god they're selfish with their treasure the 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 Things that need to be done in and through the ministry of the local church often have to to go without being done, often have to suffer because God's people are selfish with their treasure. Many are unconcerned that they could be a help and a blessing to the work of the local church. And this type of selfishness can be attributed to nothing but the flesh, the old nature, the new nature, the nature, of the, the nature of Christ that dwells within us would never, would never withhold anything from the Lord. But it's the old nature, it's the flesh. Still others would, would like to work in the church, but they are stubborn, stubborn with regards to their personal testimony. So many today are careless in the way in which they conduct their lives refusing to humble themselves and refusing to submit themselves to the expectations of God to the to the declared to the declared principles of godly living this too is is the work of the flesh once again the holy spirit never leads us into error he he always leads us into truth the holy spirit will always lead you into a life that is honoring and glorifies the Father, that glorifies Jesus and and exalts his name, always the Holy Spirit will lead us in that direction. So when we find ourselves walking in a different direction, we know, we can know for sure this is the work of the flesh. It's the old nature. It is not the nature of of God. It, It is not that which God has given to us. We have been given a propensity to serve the Lord. Therefore, as good servants, we have a desire. We have a desire to do these things, these good things, serve the Lord. We have a desire, first of all, to honor God. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, John the Revelator writes, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. It is the Holy Spirit of God. It is, the, it is the new nature given to us by the faith given to us by God. It is that nature that, that, tell, that causes us to acknowledge God as creator of all things. I like science. And I enjoy watching scientific programs. But more and more I find it difficult to watch them. I was watching an episode of The Universe. Any of you ever see that, that science show on TV, The Universe? And I was watching an episode of this just recently. And they were, they were showing some fossilized remains of some, some, some of these, I don't know what, what, exactly what it was. I can't remember what they were called. But that scientist stood there and said, I am holding my forefather in my hand. <laughs> I thought, you poor thing. You honestly believe you came from that? No, God is worthy of honor for he has created all things and all things were created by him and for him. Oh yes, we we are given a propensity to honor God and I'm not trying to stand here tonight and claim that I am a better person than these scientists. I feel sorry for them because they are blinded I don't, I don't look down on them and, and, and call them stupid and all these other things. For I was just as they were before God redeemed me. And we have been given, you and I, if, 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 if you sit here tonight and you believe, you believe that, that Jesus is God, as Pastor preached in a, in a message uh, to talking about Peter, Jesus said, blessed art thou. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it to you. No, we are given a propensity tonight. We are given an inclination. We are given a desire to honor God. God deserves the honor of his people. Yet God's people show such dishonor to him. If we were to apply the same lack of honor and respect to our employers as we do to God... Most of us would be looking for a new job tonight. Now, I know that showing honor to another is not alien to us. We see this being done all the time. Yet, when it comes to honoring the Lord, there just doesn't seem to be much enthusiasm for this among God's people. And we fail to honor him in so many ways. By our actions, by our behavior, by by the way we conduct our lives, we often show dishonor to our Heavenly Father. But not only are we given a propensity to honor God, but secondly, we're given an inclination or a desire to obey the Lord. Now, the natural man has no desire to obey the Lord. I know this is true because I remember myself in my natural state. I didn't have any desire to obey the Lord. I could care less what the Lord thought. I was going to do what I wanted to do. Man usually requires motivation in order to obey. Man will not by nature obey. Man by nature is a rebel. And we will rebel against God unless God acts upon us and does something to change that. However, the saints of God have been given this desire, this propensity to obey the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 42 and verse 6, we read, Whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God, to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. We, God's children, because of the the new nature that has been instilled in us, we obey from the heart, or should I say, At least we should obey from the heart. Not because we are better than others, but rather because we have been given the new nature which desires to obey. The Holy Spirit, once again, will always lead us to obedience. He will never lead us to rebellion. The flesh, the old nature of man, is that which leads us to disobedience. We have the desire to honor God. We have the desire to obey the Lord. Then, thirdly, we have the desire to please God. Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul is talking to Timothy about the characteristics of a good soldier. And in verse 4, he states, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him, who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, as a child, and I'm sure many of you can relate to this, as a child, I sought the approval of my parents. I I did the things that I knew pleased them. And as God's children, the nature that we have as God's children also is this same desire to please him. And this desire will cause us to live in a way that we know is pleasing unto God. So we have been given a propensity tonight to serve the Lord. But then secondly tonight, I would like for us to see that we have been given a propensity to love our brethren. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, John writes, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, we read, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, there are two Greek words for love used in the scriptures. The first one is the word phileo. And this word refers to the type of love between friends, between acquaintances, associates, you know, in other words, I phileo Brian. I phileo Dave. I don't know if I phileo John or not, but yeah, I do. I phileo John. It's a, it's a love of acquaintance. It's, it's a lesser love. But then the second word is the word agape. And the word agape refers to deep affection. It refers to the, the love uh, such as between husband and wife. A love such as between a parent and a child, and or in some cases between brother and sister, but that's sometimes that's not even a phileo love, I tell you. It can be pretty rough. So we, we're talking about two basic words, phileo and agape. Now, the word for love in the scriptures that we read in in, in 1 John chapter 5 and in John chapter 13... Uh, is the Greek word agape. It is not merely a friendly relationship. It is a family relationship. And this type of relationship is is alien to the natural man. The, The natural man is in love with himself more than anything else. And the natural man's love for his for his fellow man is it doesn't run as deep as the agape love. In fact, many husbands and wives do not have agape love. They, they may possess phileo love in, in our world today. But this this word used in the in the passages of Scripture are the Greek word agape. So Jesus is telling his disciples that the unique way in which brethren love and care for one another will be alien to this world, but it will also be proof that they are, in fact, his children, that they are Christians. The characteristics of this agape love are clearly described for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and verses 1 through 8. Let's all turn there. It's just the next book in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I know these are very familiar scriptures to to most of you. You hear them at almost every wedding you attend. And, and uh, we, we hear these preached upon often. But we read here in chapter 13, Paul writes, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, and that word charity means love, uh, I am become as sounding brass, or a tinkling symbol. Actually, that word charity there is, is, the, is a variation of the, of the Greek word agape. Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth, All things charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail; whether there be tongues, they shall cease; whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. The word charity used here is the same Greek word agape that we find in John chapter thirteen in verses thirty-four and thirty-five. So the love that you and I have as brethren—what what what are the characteristics of that? Let me give them to you real quickly. Agape love is, the Bible says, suffereth long. The Agape love is patient. The kind of love that, think about it. How patient is God with us? Oh, he's pretty patient, isn't he? Next, agape love is kind. It's, It's bountiful. It does good to all men. It's gentle and it's courteous. Agape love envieth not. Agape love is content. We have contentment with the things that we have. And and we rejoice in others' prosperity. When your brother or sister in Christ prospers, you rejoice in that. Not jealous, not envious. Agape love vaunteth not itself. It's humble. It is not boastful. It doesn't doesn't try to, to, to lift itself and above everyone around them. Agape love, next, does not behave unseemly. It's decent and it's based on principle. Agape love seeketh not her own. The kind of love that God has for us and he wants us to have for each other is others minded Love, generous with yourself and with with all the things you have for for your fellow Christian. Uh, Agape love is not easily provoked. Doesn't fly off the handle. It it acts with wisdom. It's sober-minded. Agape love thinketh no evil. Agape love is forgiving and, and it harbors no ill will. The love we, we're to have for each other is is a, is a love of forgiving. If someone someone does something to you, forgive them. How many? Let me ask you. How often have you done something wrong against your heavenly Father since you've been saved? Yet He always is ready to forgive, and He harbors no ill will toward His children. Agape love beareth all things, strong in the faith. Agape love believeth all things. It's a love that that causes us to be hopeful and trustworthy in all that we we do in, in our interactions with each other. Agape love endureth all things. It's steadfast. And agape love never faileth. It's dependable. And these are the characteristics that we are to possess toward one another. Patience, gentle courteous, content, humble, decent, principled, generous, sober-minded, forgiving, ethical, moral, strong in faith, hopeful, steadfast, dependable. Now, let me tell you, this love, this kind of love can only come from God. It cannot be purchased, and it cannot come from our flesh. It only comes by the blood of Christ. We've been given a propensity. Our, we've been given a nature that causes us to have desire to do these things, to serve the Lord and to love the brethren. But thirdly, we've been given the propensity to preach the word. To preach the word. Let's turn now to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll read verses one through 4 of 2nd Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes here, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering, and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables one of the most distasteful things to the human flesh is to be a witness of jesus christ this is the one thing that most Christians dread having to do. However, when we experience the new birth, we are given a driving desire to tell others about Jesus. When we live our lives in submission to the Holy Spirit of God, he will lead us into this desire to go forth and preach the gospel, how many of you remember when you were first just saved? How many of you remember the, the moment of your of your salvation? What was the first thing you wanted to do? You wanted to tell someone didn 't you i 'll never forget that the day I, I attended this little bitty baptist church along the bayou it was really a little mission church and i heard real preaching for the first time in my life i mean i'd heard catholic priests, but that's not preaching that's just reading from a, a book and it's not the bible but i heard preaching and i saw a man stand up there and i saw him preach from his heart and and i saw him i saw him weep and 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 I knew the man. He had had married my wife and I, and I got to know him a little bit. And I knew he was a genuinely sincere man. And I'd been witnessed to by one of my friends, actually a man at work for me. And that Sunday morning, November 29th, actually, 1981, I told my wife, I said, I want to go. I want to go to church this morning because I want to talk to Brother Bobby. And I want to find out what all this salvation stuff is about. And I sat there in that church, and I heard that preaching. And we stood to sing an invitational hymn. And the the hymn was, Just As I Am. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit jumped down on me with both feet. I don't know if he has feet or not, but I think he got some for that day. And I had that songbook in my hand, and I closed it. And I put it in my wife's hand, and I said, let me out. She said, well, where are you going? I said, I'm going to get saved. And I'll never forget that day. And I don't ever want to forget that day, by the way. Every day from then till now, I've I've reminded myself of how God saved me. And I walked down that little aisle, tears flowing down my face... And Brother Bobby came to me and said, what can I do for you? And I said, I need to be saved. And we knelt down right there, he and I, and, and I prayed. And, and I, of course, now I, I, I know that God had already saved me. I was just making it known. God had already opened my eyes and had already quickened my soul and illuminated me to his presence. And I was born again. Elect Some people may say there's no such thing as election. I beg to differ. I got elected. But I remember that. And when we walked, my wife and I, when we left that church that day, as we were driving back to my in-law's house, the first person came to my mind was my daddy. My daddy needed to be saved. And the first thing I wanted to do was get home and tell my daddy, About Jesus. And when we when we are get the new man, the new creature within us, we want, we desire to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Not all of us will preach sermons from behind a pulpit. But every one of us by that new nature are driven to preach the gospel to everyone we meet. However, as the days turn to weeks and the weeks turn to months and the months turn to years, we constantly suppress this desire to tell others about Jesus and eventually we no longer feel compelled to witness for Christ and what a shame that is. I had an old friend. His name was Sam Pennison. He, he worked with my father from, from the day my father opened his business in the 1960s until he retired. And Sam was, a, was, a, was an elderly man that I knew, I, I, was, I was sure, wasn't saved. And every Saturday on the way to my bus route, I would drive right past Sam's house. And as I drove past that house a voice in my head, the Holy Spirit would say, go witness to Sam. But I would say, no, Sam, Sam isn't going to listen to that. And I'd drive by. I'd go visit my bus route, and I'd drive home. The next Saturday, I'd drive to my bus route again. And as I passed Sam's house, the same thing, go witness to Sam. And I drove right on by. You know, it's interesting, but after a few weeks and months of that, I no longer felt that heard that voice to go witness to Sam. I don't know if Sam ever got saved or not. If he was an elect child of God, he 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 got saved. The Lord sent someone by. Unfortunately, I was not faithful to do so. If we if we constantly suppress this this desire that's in us to witness for Christ, to preach the word, sooner or later we will just simply and give up on that calling. So, what happens? Why do we suppress this desire to preach the Word of God? Well, I, I think the answer is simple I think it's fear. I think we fail as witnesses for Christ because of fear. First, I think we fear rejection. Second Timothy chapter 4 verses 16 and 17 at my first answer no man stood with me but all men forsook me i pray god that it may not be laid to their charge notwithstanding the lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the gentiles might hear we fear rejection we fear alienation from those who who are friends of ours we even, we even can be alienated from our own family. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, we read, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, I'm not sure that that's, a, that's not a natural battlefield there, but anyway... Verse 36, And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And and we'll find that when we start becoming a witness for Christ, often, not always, but often, we'll be rejected by our own family members. They'll push us away. So I don't want to hear that. And most certainly will come, this rejection will most certainly come from the world without. Stephen, the first deacon, experienced this. Acts chapter 7, verse 54, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. And then in verse 59, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen found rejection for his preaching, for what he preached and how he preached. But not only do we fear rejection, but we also fear ridicule. In 2 Kings chapter 2, in verse 23 we read and he went up from thence unto Bethel and as he was going up by the way there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him go up thou bald head go up thou bald head and of course if you don't know this is a story about Elisha but Elisha faced ridicule for for his his ministry and often and in the cases of, of our witnessing for Christ and preaching the gospel we will face ridicule You ever heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me? I was visiting one Saturday on my bus route, and a a dear lady in our church, her name was Mary Anselm, and I I stopped at her house to visit her children, as I did every Saturday. And that day, she had two nephews there. And they they just started mocking me, and they started laughing at me, and and they started singing, amazing grace, and and all those things, and, and I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't let my old nature come out, and I didn't want to be mean to them or nasty to them in front of Mary. So I excused myself and said I had to go, and, and I walked to my car, and they followed me all the way to my car, almost like they did to Elisha, just go up, thou ball head. Of course, I don't have a ball head, but they, they mocked me all the way to the car, and they laughed and laughed and laughed, and they went back to the house, and I drove off, and as I drove away, I, I honestly, I prayed for them. I said, Father, open their eyes. You know, I, I know they don't. I know it's just their own nature. They, they don't mean to be so cruel. Well, in 1980, that was, that was like in 1983. In 1984, one Sunday morning, we were closing up our service, and those two guys were sitting on the back row next to their aunt and got up and they came down that aisle. And I was looking for an exit because I thought they were coming after me. <laughs> and the pastor said, go down there and deal with those two guys. And we walked, I walked there and I sat there and they both sat there and they wept and they they received Christ and got saved. You know, sometimes we face rejection and sometimes we face ridicule, but there's never a wrong place or a wrong time to preach the gospel. And your testimony stands for a lot. And I praise the Lord for Mary and her family because they were probably the biggest witness those two young men saw. But don't fear to be a witness for Christ because you never know whose life you're going to touch and who you're going to affect. We must overcome the obstacles that will keep us from giving in and yielding to this desire of preaching the word. So we've been given the propensity to serve the Lord, to to love the brethren, to preach the word, and then lastly, to overcome the world. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, we read, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now the world is a formidable enemy indeed ephesians warns us in ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 12 finally my brethren be strong in the lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of god that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness High places, and we must remember that while the new nature we have been given remains loyal and submissive to the Father, the old nature, which, which rules our flesh, is loyal to this world. This is why we have a constant battle between our flesh and the Spirit. Galatians 5 17 For the flesh of uh, uh, flesh. For the flesh, sorry, lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And we face this constant battle between our flesh and and our spirit. But remember this, the victor in this battle will ultimately be the Holy Spirit. However, while we are clothed in this flesh... The victor will be the one to which you yield control of your life. John states in 1 John 4, 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Notice that John didn't say that we will overcome them. Rather, he said we have overcome them. His statement is in the present tense. We have already overcome the world. We have overcome the world by the salvation we have in Christ Jesus. The victory over the world and the flesh and the devil is already won. And there is still time. You ever, um, you ever see sometimes... Maybe you're watching a football game or a basketball game. I know Pastor watches Kentucky games, and this applies a lot to Kentucky because late in the game, you've already secured the win. There's no way you're going to lose. And Kentucky's a very good team, and a lot of times they play, there's no way they're going to lose the game. So what what does the coach do? well he sends in the bench right throws out his younger players give them a chance to get some game time and and because there's still time on the clock and you have to finish the game if you can't you can't just say okay well we won there's no way this is gonna they're gonna catch us so we're gonna go ahead and quit and leave you can't do that you have to finish off the game you have to run out the clock now we've already won the victory god is it's already done the devil lost the devil, the devil lost, the world lost, the flesh lost. It's already finished. It's, it's a done deal. But there's still time on the clock. And we have to run out the clock. However, while we're running out the clock, we must not take liberty simply because our victory is secure. We must continue to live and walk unto God's glory and God's honor because there are still those of God's election yet to be saved. In James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, we read, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. We have a propensity to overcome the world because the victory is ours. But as we wait, as we tarry on this earth in in, in expectation of the return of our Lord and Savior, let us do so. Let us do so with with righteousness and with holiness. We have a propensity tonight to do all these things and, and many more. And this is through the faith that we have obtained from God the Father, through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, by which we have been, by which we have obtained redemption and have been born again, unto eternal life. So tonight, I ask, what will you do with this? What will you do with, with the provisions that we have. By faith, what will you do with the products? that we have through faith. And what will you do with the propensities that God has granted to us because of faith? Will you continue to walk in submission to the flesh or will you submit to the spirit and walk in the nature of Christ? The choice is yours. You've already won, so start living like you've won. Put away the flesh and put away the things of the world. Yield and open your heart to the Holy Spirit and submit to his his leadership. Honor and glorify God with your testimonies. Do those things which are pleasing in the sight of God. Raise your children. Raise your children to love the Lord, to know him, and to serve him in sincerity and in truth. We have but one life to give to the Lord on this earth. Are we going to waste it? Or are we going to live it unto his purpose? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you, Father, for the wisdom you give us through the scriptures. And I just pray, Lord, that this message will speak to our hearts and our minds and will encourage us and challenge us and, and motivate us to live for you in all things in our life. Thank you for the time we've had together. I pray that the things that were said would glorify you and would, would edify the people of God. Thank you for this time now. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen.